Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. First of all, thank you for tuning in. Um, this has been a fun journey. Um, I've had some amazing people on the show, and I've got another one uh, coming up for you today. Uh, her name is Rosie Card. Um, she started the company QNOR, and some of you may be familiar with that. It's a women's clothing line, um, which kind of got its start in the LDS culture with LDS women's temple clothing, which is not an easy thing to do. And kudos to you, Rosie, for like actually like approaching that opportunity right there. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no kidding. And, and I want you to talk about that for sure. But um, Rosie and I were connected through um, a great friend of mine, Jake Watts, uh, one of my heroes. And it was, as soon as I started my podcast, um, as, as I mentioned to you, Rosie, before we started recording, he reached out to me and he introduced me to Richard Osler. And Richard Osler obviously uh, does the podcast, Listen, Learn, and Love. And you've been a guest on his podcast a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And your voice is, you're, you're a voice for marginalized groups. You're a voice for people who fall into categories in the world right now who don't necessarily have much of a voice. They're unheard, if you will. Um, and kind of crying out for help too. And, and as I've followed you on Instagram the last couple of months, that's really what I've noticed in you. And so I've been really looking forward to sitting down with you and having a conversation. can't thank you enough for joining me. Um, and I, and I just, I'm really excited, um, for the audience to hear just kind of your approach to life. I think, I think the way you look at things and, and you said to me before, again, before we started recording, you said, you know, I'm in this place in life and I'm stoked about it. I love life. Like, I feel like I'm right where God wants me to be. And I just enjoy that. And I just continually want to know what my heavenly parents want from me each day. And that's what you look to. So Anyway, grateful to make the connection. Grateful that uh, you'd come and join me today and share some of your delight for life with me and my audience. And uh, I'll let you take it away for a second. We'll go from there. How about that? Yeah, totally. So I'll just introduce myself. Um, again, like I was mentioned, my name is Rosie Card. I mostly have been born and raised, well, I was fully born in Utah, but mostly raised in Utah. Uh, I live in Salt Lake City with my two dogs. I have my business, QNOR, that I run. Um, and then I also do work through social media, on Twitter, Instagram, all those types of things. But yeah, that's a little bit, that's just me, the basics of me. Keeping you busy. What kind of dogs do you have? I have a golden doodle and a sheep doodle Ooh, yeah. are, you're talking two big dogs there. Yeah, one is big. He's like 75 pounds. And then the other one's a mini. So he's 40-ish pounds. Do you take him out for walks together? Um, you know what? I'm a terrible dog owner and I don't <laughs> walk them. <laughs> they're, they're comfy at home on the couch, right? I'm just going to be straight with that. I don't <laughs> walk my dogs. Um, but they play outside a lot. We have a great backyard. They play a lot together. And I feel like that's good enough. That's fun. Hey, for my family, we have a Bernadoodle. Oh, so wonderful. Oh, it's so fun. Her name is Muncie after a city in Indiana. Um, cool. And um, she is the friendliest dog. Like I feel like half the time I'm I'm getting hugs from a human being. Like I swear my dog comes up and like puts its arms over me and hugs me, right? Yeah. 
they're just the coolest dogs. I, anything mixed with a poodle is, I don't know. They're just so friendly. I love it. So yeah. that's fun. So you're, you're downtown kind of towards the downtown Salt Lake area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and tell me, tell us a little bit more, tell the audience a little bit more for those that don't know about QNOR. Yeah. So as you mentioned, QNOR started as a temple dress company um, seven years ago. I just realized that no one was making temple dresses that women actually wanted to wear and actually liked. And so I decided that I would figure out how to offer that. I saw a good opening in the market. And so I researched it, um, like literally after having the idea in the temple, went home and Googled how to start a clothing line. And that's how it started. Uh, I launched the company November of 2015, and it has just grown from there. And we've just slowly added play dresses and nightgowns and loungewear, um, just comfortable dresses that you or clothing that you would wear every day, along with books and, and other things that are just kind of centered around helping women feel more comfortable and confident. That's awesome. So you got that idea from going to the temple yourself and feeling like, Hey, I think we can make some new designs for these clothes. Right. Which is, which is interesting in and of itself because this is clothing that is kind of like, we all wear the same thing in the LDS temple. Right. Yeah. Oh, I was just saying, I mean, I, I was working at the church in the time at the time in the film department and I kind of felt like my job was going to be changing I could kind of see the beginnings of some reorganization of the department um and so I went to the temple to do kind of a standard prayer and thought of like should I go find a new job now should I wait can I start something on my own and I just you know was kind of my brain wandering in and out of prayer and then noticing like why are all these temple dresses pioneer costumes and like mine is so uncomfortable and then the ideas just kind of came to me. Uh, and yeah, I definitely like, I never want it to seem like I'm trying to make the temple into being a fashion statement. Sure. Or a show. It more is based around like the real research behind the fact that if women's brains are more focused on what they look like, if they feel physically uncomfortable or insecure in their clothing, they're less capable to learn. So by creating clothing that not only makes women feel beautiful, but just physically comfortable, my goal is that they can put on a dress that they immediately can essentially forget about. So their brain is freed up to focus on things that actually matter, like the temple ceremonies. Very wise. That's awesome. I love that right there. So tell me just a few more questions around this idea. Like, okay, so the church has been really the same clothing for years and years. You're not trying to, you're not trying to do anything to like make it a fashion, you know, statement or anything like that. You're trying to put women in a comfortable place, right? If you want to make some new men's clothes too, I'll, I'm, I'm all for that. So yeah, yeah, you should, yeah, yeah. Let me know. I'll give you some ideas. You know what you need to do? I, I'm like, I don't know why men aren't all wearing Nike golf pants. Amen. Holy cow. They're so comfy. That's, yeah. Let's just Go do get this. Those white Nike golf pants. And Forget Nike. Forget Nike. Let's do Q Nor. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, no, that's a great idea right there in and of itself. But yeah. so, so as you approach this thing, right? Like maybe for some of those, some of us that have never started a business and kind of get to that approach and you're like, well, there's not really space for this, or I have to go through the upper echelons of the church, if you will, to see if I can get this approved. Like how, how did you go about doing that? What steps did you have to take? So I had that idea in the evening in the temple. I was in the Salt Lake temple doing initiatories. I finished up in initiatories and immediately went upstairs and asked one of the secretaries um, if I could get an appointment with the Salt Lake temple matron. And they scheduled me an appointment like, I think it was the next day or the day after that, like early in the morning, I want to say like 7 a.m. And I met with her. It was Sister Samuelson at the time. I know her. Yeah. She's She's awesome. She's, I mean, she changed my life and she had the opportunity to change it in a much different way. And I'm so grateful that 
when I came to her and said, I have this idea. And she said, like, do you have a background in this? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, that was such a pivotal point because Sister Samuelson could have squashed me. She should have said, oh, honey, like, maybe you should do something else that you have more experience with. Or, oh, I don't know. It's, that's maybe not a very, like, we should probably just stick to what's out there, you know? But she just said, it's about time. Someone needs to do it. I hope you do it. And she just, I say, like loaned a little bit of her own confidence and her own fire to me so that I could start my own fire and feel confident in myself. And after that conversation, like she went over the guidelines and temple clothing, just like a man can go to the gap and get a white shirt, women can buy their white dress anywhere. You can get it from Old Navy. You can get it from Anthropology anywhere. Just needs to follow like a few simple guidelines. And so the temple clothing, as far as the whites, they're not sacred pieces of clothing. They're just clothing. Yeah. And so she just said like, yeah, you can absolutely make it. Don't have sequins and don't have beading and, you know, keep it within these modesty guidelines. But other than that, go for it. So I just kind of started running with it after that. Um, but as I've kind of like continued on, you know, I, I recently released like a temple prep book and a question that people asked me was like, did you get permission from the church to do this? And I, that's just not how I roll. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I'm, I'm not. Why? 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 They, I, that's not, that's, first of all, it's not a thing. The church yeah. doesn't approve books. Um, you, people are allowed to write whatever they want. And um, I understand like the guidelines of the temple, just like I understand the guidelines of what makes a temple dress. Um, and then you can go and kind of do, you don't need, you don't need permission from the church to live your life. I love it. And so I want to, there's a lot to talk about there, but I love sister Samuelson. First of all, I know her personally oh, yeah. and she's oh. incredible. Um, her and my grandpa, uh, we're very good friends. And, and in fact, she, she grew up, sure. She lived in holiday and I went to the same ward as her for quite a long time. Cool. Just an amazing lady. But, uh, I love what you said. And, and it's almost like the way that you defined her, she's a fire starter, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you had this little inkling going on this little flame and she kind of blew some wind on it and it, it grew into a big fire just because she believed in you and mm -hmm. said, do it. Yeah. I mean, Gosh, I, I think there's a lesson right there for all of us that we can walk away with and go, hey, do I do I breathe fire and light into people or do I suck it away from people, right? Because she could have easily done that and your life would be totally, totally different right now, right? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it goes back to, I mean, I don't know her outside of that conversation. Yeah. Um, but I like to think that she was able to share fire with me because hers was full. Like yes. her own self-confidence her own life is full. Um, she didn't feel a need to project any type of insecurity or personal fear onto me. Because I think a lot of people, when, when someone shares an idea for a business or something they want to do, it can be pretty common for family and friends to not feel brave enough to do that themselves. And so they project that onto the person and say like, ooh, like, have you considered this though? Like, I don't know, maybe you shouldn't do that. Like maybe it's too risky. And that's nothing about the person with the idea or the idea. It's everything about the friend and their own fears and their own insecurities. So I'm grateful that her fire was full enough that she could loan me some rather than kind of having to just be lacking for me in that moment when I really needed her. Amen. That's, I love that. That is awesome. And, and I couldn't agree with you more, right? Like we all kind of face or, or meet those people in our lives that just every time we go around them, they seem to breathe life into us, right? They just, they help us to feel good. They help us to see life in a more beautiful way, delightful, if you will. And, um, that's obviously what she did to you and, and you were ready. I mean, like you, you obviously you, you started to pray about it. And the funny thing to me is, is you're sitting there in the temple trying to pay attention, right? Um, God's trying to interrupt your prayer to him and say, Hey, look at the clothing, <laughs> like, yeah. right? Like, just no, look at that. Weird? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that so funny? It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to focus. And I'm, I'm sure in your mind, you're like, 
Stop getting distracted. You're talking to your heavenly father. You need to get focused here. You, you can't be. A, and he's like, no, hey, 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 look up. Like, look at, look at, look at the clothing. You should look at that. I need your help here. And I'll tell you right now, Rosie, my wife, you know, the, the younger generation growing up is not the same right. by any means. It never is. Right. We know that. But like my wife, it, it's hard for her. It's hard for her because it's not necessarily because of the way the clothing looks. It's it's the way the clothing fits. It's not comfortable. Exactly what you just said. And why haven't we done something about that yet? Right. Yeah. And I think there's lots of the elements of the temple like that. And I just like I always want to normalize that. Yeah. I think people go to the temple and have a less than spine tingling, incredible, cozy experience, and they think something's wrong with me because yeah. everyone's always talking about how wonderful it is. And either I thought it was weird. I was scared. <laughs> I was uncomfortable or I just didn't like it. Like, or it was boring. Like, and that's okay. And I would even dare to say like, that's the majority of people walk away sometimes going, Hmm. Yeah. And that is okay. And so I just think like as many if we can kind of like remove certain things that make people people nervous, we should do that because there are some things that like you just don't need to worry about when you're in the temple, clothing being one of them as far as the whites. And so why why not just make that easier for people? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting how we have culturally these um, traditions, if you will, just the way that we've always done things and and we've never stopped to like, say why like what's the what's the point of that and and sometimes we limit ourselves in our mind because we think down the road and kind of like what i said to you like how did you go through the echelons of you know like the top people in church well in my mind that's kind of what i'm thinking because isn't that kind of what you have to do like through the prophet and the first presidency and, and if if you're listening to this and you don't understand the the layout of the church we believe in a prophet and 12 apostles like the church was formed back in christ's time and, and sometimes as members, we think everything filters through them before it gets approved for anything. Yeah. That's not the case. Not the case. Very, yeah. I think very, right? very little. I mean, <laughs> the history, like so much of what happens in the church is actually bottom up rather than top down. But then I think it also, if that's, if you kind of see the church as a pyramid, right. But all it is, is it's God choosing to reach out to one person and they're calling as a prophet versus one person and they're calling as a person. Yeah. Like they're all I, in my mind, kind of like in a line and certain people have different stewardships that others don't. And that's totally great. But God speaks to all of his children with great ideas. Amen to that. Amen yeah. to that. I love it. So, so tell me about some of the things in life because I, I've noticed something with you as I've watched you the last couple of months on your Instagram posts. You are a voice for a lot of these groups, as I mentioned before, that like marginalized groups, right? Like LGBTQ, um, racial stuff, right? You'll speak up for, for uh, minorities and, and especially women, you know? Like I, I've seen a lot of posts that you've put about women and just empowering women and feeling comfortable in your own skin and loving yourself, right? No matter what. And and I, w what Rosie has caused you to have space there and to be a voice in that place? Yeah, I think there's a quote from, uh, oh shoot, what is her name? She's, oh, she's the actress and she's married to the prince and they just got kicked out of, the oh, yeah, Markle, Megan Markle. Markle, Megan Markle. Hey, I'm, pr I'm yeah, proud of myself I'm, right now. Clearly, I'm not really into the whole <laughs> two things, and I'm like the prince, and they got kicked out of the kingdom. Um, <laughs> she has this great quote where she says, um, "Women don't need help finding," and this isn't direct, but women don't need help finding their voice. They have their voice. We need people to listen to them. So I think marginalized groups or minorities. Um, I don't think, I don't really see myself as a voice for them or that they need help finding their voice. I believe they absolutely have their voice. I think we need to make more room to the, so we listen to their voices. Um, and because though 
though I'm a woman and that comes with certain disadvantages in this world and in our church, um, I am very privileged in the sense that I, you know, middle-class white woman, well-connected in the church. So I do feel like people will listen to me. I, that kind of is a given. And so if I can use my voice to try to highlight other groups that people who might listen to me may not listen to, does that make sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are certain women who might listen to me, but they might not listen to a black woman. And so if I can talk to those women and say like, hey, here's why you need to listen to black women. Here's why you need to listen to black people in general. Um, then I feel like I can help create space um, or help kind of change hearts so that people will listen to those other voices that they may not have been prior. If yeah, that makes totally makes sense. I love it. It's you recognize where you are right? You, you recognize the place in life, just, you know, you hate to, you hate to gauge everything, right? But you kind of recognize where you are, who you are and that idea of, of privilege. And, and you say, okay, um, statistically speaking, my voice is going to be listened to a little bit more than somebody else um, who may belong to a different racial group than me or whatever. And that's, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. No. And, and but it you, is real. Yes, it's, it is absolutely real. And I agree with that a thousand yeah. percent. And the idea though, that you're actually willing to recognize that instead of just saying, oh, that's a bunch of hocus pocus, right? Like mm -hmm. we hear that stuff all the time. Like, oh no, that's uh, syst systematically, right? Like give it a chance, mm -hmm. listen for a second. And there are people crying out and hurting instead of pushing it away because it, it causes a little bit of friction inside of you, mm -hmm. you actually approach it and you give it space, you give it room. And you also, I, I think Rosie, this is, this is kind of my next question for you. As you are looking at some of these people in marginalized groups and seeing some of the things in this world that just sometimes don't make sense, why things are happening the way they are. And, and you believe in God with all your heart, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. But you also understand that, that men and women are imperfect. We make dumb decisions. Um, you're approaching a culture in the church that is conservative, is kind of set in our ways, if you will. Um, and some of these topics, like for example, LGBTQ, that's mm -hmm. not an easy topic to go to certain people that belong in the church that have never really approached that topic before. Mm -hmm. So, so how have you found a, a space to feel confident about raising your voice to these issues in the world today. Does that make sense? Because totally, yeah, you're going to get, you get a little kickback, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think it comes in just being firmly rooted in the belief that this is what my heavenly parents would have me do. Um, I, I totally understand how people might look at me and say like, this doesn't make sense how you would claim to be an active member. You own what once was specifically a temple dress company. You write a temple prep manual, but then you are advocating for LGBTQ rights and acceptance within the church. Like those things don't mix. And for me, like I understand how, where that perspective comes from, because I would have had that perspective probably 10 years ago. Uh, but for me, it seems like such a no brainer. Like it's so in line with what I believe that Jesus would do. Um, supporting these people, this community is to me, so what Jesus would be doing if he was here on this earth. And so it feels like a no brainer, but it does culturally, there is some tension. Uh, and I guess I'm just okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I thought of something as you were saying that I thought, you know, it's interesting as I've started my journey to really understanding as I study the life of Christ, amen, that's where he would be. That's exactly where he would be fighting for them. And, and yet you, you as a Christian, you kind of look at that and go, well, okay, well, here's the, here's the questions. And here's probably the problem with that as far as people's thoughts doctrinally about that. But all that is, is people limiting their minds. That's all it is. Because when you st study the doctrine, Christ says, 
love God and love all others. Mm-hmm. Our, he doesn't say, I need you to judge. That's not our job. He didn't, he didn't ever give us that position in life. That's our Heavenly Father's job. And, and He just wants us to go love. And, and I, I think, Rosie, it's not, it's not easy at first because there's culturally these things, those, those ideas that are hanging over our head that, that kind of cause a little bit of friction with anything that's new. But as you start that journey, the thing that I've found, and maybe, maybe you feel the same way, I hope so, but I feel like I love myself a lot more when I think loving thoughts towards others, no matter who they are, what they look like, what they're doing with their time, if I think loving thoughts towards them and recognize them as of infinite worth as a child of God, I find myself happier with my own self much more often than I used to. Yeah. I think about... um like there are a few examples in the New Testament when Christ is like about to have or just had or is having a really uncomfortable, difficult experience. And in these cases, the way one of the ways that he copes or he all, something that he always does is he does something for someone else. Um, so he just found out that his best friend slash cousin, John the Baptist has been beheaded, which I think we usually like kind of like breeze past, but like, like one of the most devastating things, right? Like, can you just imagine like finding out that your cousin, best friend was murdered in such a gruesome way, like devastating. And before he goes up into the mountain to spend some time alone, which I think is important to know that he does do that. He sends angels to comfort John's followers who were with him at the time. Um, He's hanging on the cross, being crucified. He uh, offers comfort to the men on the cross next to him. When he's being taken from the garden to uh, being questioned and leading to the cross, he heals the soldier's ear. Just these small instances where he's turning outward and focusing on others. Mm. And I think that we have to take that and also be aware, like I don't want it to turn into, I feel like if we were to quote unquote Mormonify that, it could say like, you know, just serve, 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 like serve yourself into the ground. Don't, don't take care of yourself. Just focus on others. Like that's definitely not what I want to say. Right. But I do think it's a good example that uh, focusing on others tends to be beneficial to yourself. And, and I like how you, I like how you told those experiences of Christ because uh, I mean, you're not giving his day in and day out like program or, or daily process. Right. So of course he's, he's working and, and doing all those things and, and his ministry is, is got him going down different roads, but in his darkest moments, like some of those hard, incredibly crazy things that he went through that we can't understand he reached outward. And I think there's something special about that, right? Like as we, as we deal with the difficult questions of life and trying to figure out life, if we have a question about not really understanding something, for example, you know, Richard Osler shares a story about LGBTQ and, and just feeling like there was a change that needed to happen in his heart. And he didn't understand why, didn't really know what to do of it, but he called a friend that he knew was gay and he said, hey, can I take you to lunch? And so he went and and put himself in the space and then asked questions and just listened. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way, that's kind of what you just said about Christ. Like you just put yourself in a space to let other people know that that they have so much worth. And that gives you a lot of happiness and joy in your own heart and mind. Like I can't, you know, I think back to sister Samuelson, um, her saying that and doing that for you. I, I don't know if she's ever heard, you know, I don't know if she's watched you. You, you said you haven't connected with her since. Um, I wrote, I believe I wrote her a letter or reached out to her a couple of years after, or maybe when the company launched to kind of say like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but like it's happening and thank you. Um, but I haven't, had contact with her in years. I I just I I this is going to get back to her. I'll make sure that I happens. Love that. Yeah, I no love doubt. That. And and just just think how awesome um 
that will make her feel to know that that you found you found so much um just fire because of what she gave to you in that moment saying yeah you can do it and i hope you do right yeah. like then you then you're just like yes i'm done i'm i'm going to get there yeah. um okay so let's 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 kind of transition a little bit okay um you are 30 Two. Almost, 30, 32. Almost 32. Yeah. Yeah. You're so young. That's so young. I love it. I, I just <laughs> hit 40. And I, if I 30s, I feel like 30s are the best because you're like, yes. your, your body's still like in a good place. And your mind, all of a sudden you're like, I've got enough experience. I've made enough dumb decisions in my life and bad mistakes or good or good choices that like, I feel like my mind and body are kind of like there. Right. <laughs> um, you culturally, you're in a place that is kind of tough for some, we, we call it mid singles in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? Mm-hmm. Will, you, will you take a second and just talk about um, your approach to life and why you're so stoked about life, understanding that there's a lot of people in these spaces that that kind of deal with some depression and, and some difficulty trying to figure out like, am I worth anything to this world, right? Yeah. I think the the struggle and and sadness that a lot of mid-single adults can feel is very real i want to validate it i don't believe that it's a natural um, reaction to being a single adult Uh, i believe it's a reaction to being a individual who's raised in a situation or surrounded by a community where there's kind of one really stamp of approval way to live. You know, the, the true way is to get married young, have children, and that's, that's really the right way to live your life. And that's a wonderful way to live your life. But I don't believe that is the life that God or our heavenly parents have designed for all of their children. And so it's a really big bummer that there is a large group, you know, in this most recent general conference, the statistic was released that the majority of adults in the church are single, whether because of divorce or death or never been married. The majority of adult members of this church are are single. And it's so sad that we've kind of told them that the life that their heavenly parents have given them is less than is somehow like a plan B or less desirable. Um, And I think that's devastating. Um, And I imagine that's devastating to our heavenly parents because I truly believe that every life that they design for us is like uniquely like catered and thought out for you, for me as an individual. And it's such a bummer that so many of us, you know, look at this beautiful gift that we've been given our life that's unique to us and think like, Hmm, this isn't, this isn't as good as it should be. So I like to really, I fully believe that I'm not living a plan B um, and I'm not living a less happy life that this is the most perfect life for me. And I feel immensely grateful for the opportunities it affords me. Yes, there are hard things about it, but there's hard things about any life. And I really love my life. Amen. And, and it comes back to gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. Gratitude, yeah. right? You just, you find you, the way you view life, the way you see all that you've been given, all the opportunity. And to do that, you also have to put yourself in places to see that there are people that really haven't been given as much as you. And that, and and you you, you don't look at that and go, wow, I've been given so much. Yippee for me. It's You look at that and go, why? How can I change that? What can I do to make that better? Right? How can I, what can I do to bridge that gap a little bit more? Right? So, so what would you say, Rosie, this is a tough question, but what would you say right now? And and let's specifically take this to the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the culture. What, what would you say are some things that, that we can do to change the culture? So there's not this like, pressure or expectation placed upon people that they have to live a certain way or they're not going to heaven. That's no, nowhere is that doctrinal. 
it's it's not in the church's doctrine. It's not in the doctrine of the scriptures, which is the church's doctrine. And and yet it's there. And why do we do that? And what can we do to change it? Um, I think, I mean, a few things. I think just treating everyone as equals and as people. Um, I don't have less to offer because I'm not a mother or because I'm not a wife. Um, I have very different experiences. I like to say that um, women who are wives or mothers who have those relationships in their life, um, we are all learning the same things. We're just learning from different textbooks, you know, like they're learning patience, hard work, sacrifice. I'm learning patience, hard work, sacrifice, just how we do that is different. And, and I think, you know, there's been specifically for women, there's a teaching that has been shared a few times over the pulpit that, you know, the highest, most holy calling a woman can hold is to be a mother. And while I agree that being a mother is a very high and holy calling, um, I believe the highest and holiest calling a woman can hold is whatever her parents, heavenly parents call her to. So the highest and holiest calling is not out of reach for me if I never am a mother. The highest and holiest calling is what I'm doing right now with my life. And I think if we were to kind of like zoom in and create or zoom out and create more space for diversity in so many ways within our church, uh, that only helps us that only better serves or improves this experience for members. And so it just seems like such a no brainer to me. Yeah. I think there's a fear, right? I think, I think one of the reasons why that hasn't happened yet, or it's happening, right? It's a slow, it's a Mm -hmm. slow moving progress, if you will. But I'd say that the thing that holds us back always, and, and this is not just with the church, but everything in our society as well, it's, it's fear, fear of change. If this changes, I lose, I lose my place or my position, right? Um, why are we afraid of that? Um, I can only speak from my personal perspective, so I want to make sure I lead with that. But I think... I imagine if a woman who is a wife or a mother, if she feels pushback against what I might say, just said, it might come from a place of fear that she feels like she is important because she's a wife and a mother. And so if I say I am also important and I'm not a wife or a mother, that that might feel like I'm taking position away from her. And I think that kind of connects to a greater issue that we have where we feel like we are important because of certain badges that we wear it's not so much an understanding that i am whole and worthy and valuable regardless of whether or not i have a fancy job or i have a fancy title or i have a fancy calling or i'm a wife or a mother or regardless of the relationships in my life like i am enough just as i am period end of story. And, and it's not because you've been put on a certain pedestal and it's not because of a certain talk said that you're enough. It's, it's simply because you are, it's not because you're a good Mormon. It's simply because you are. Yeah. Amen. That's it. The classroom of life permits that, right? It, it allows us the opportunity to say, Hey, look, I'm learning, I'm growing, but I'm, I'm enough. And, and I, I got this, like, this is a good, it's a good life. Right. Um, I think, uh, one of the thoughts I had um, when you were just saying that is, is I'm, I'm literally stopping myself and going the happiest I've ever been in my life. As far as like confidence in, in who I am is after a brain injury jobless, I was going to the homeless shelters, feeding the homeless food on a bus. I had no money to my name. I was recovering from a traumatic brain injury and I read all kinds of like inspiring books. And I just, I felt so good about me and the world. And I didn't look at anybody with any kind of judgment. And I just believed that like the, it, my view of everything changed um, because of my gratitude and because 
I, I was learning to set aside all of these worries that don't matter. You know, when you go through a life, life or death um, experience like that, it kind of puts you in a place where you go, hey, look, <laughs> some of these things don't matter at all, right? We make a big deal out of things that really don't matter. And, and actually, some of the things we make a big deal out of actually hurt people quite a bit, right? Um, I, love, I love what you said there about a woman's worth. I think that is so important. And it does not have to come through having children, there are many women that I know that are not able to have children who have been trying for years. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it almost crush them because it was devastating. Right. And, and, and as, as we continue to say, Hey, this is where you will reach your full potential. And if you don't ever get here, I, I mean, whether you say you don't ever get there or not, just saying your greatest worth will be in having children, fulfilling your purpose as a mother. Well, guess what? If that person doesn't get there, what's automatically going to happen to them? They're going to go into a huge depression. Yeah. And I've seen it with every single woman I know that has not been able to have kids. Yep. And those things need to change. You know, we yeah. can we can do that. So tell me about your relationship with your heavenly father and heavenly mother. I love, first of all, before we start recording, you right off the bat, you were like, I looked to my heavenly father and my heavenly mother, and I try and find their will for me. And, and who they created me to be. Um, I love that you said your heavenly mother. That's yeah. something that like is not said all the time. So talk to me. Um, I love talking about this right after what we just talked about because uh, it's an opportunity for me to show that like I really do sincerely value mothers. Oh, sure. Um, and uh, in the church, it's so common. We do kind of put mothers up on this pedestal and then we really value and we talk a ton about Heavenly Father. And then in the earthly sense, or in the, it's kind of like swapped, you know what I mean? Like, so I like to think like, because Heavenly Father is so important, you know, that men as fathers are so important. The role that men play in their children's lives is so important and they can be nurturing and comforting because like who's more nurturing and comforting than Heavenly Father? And because I know that earthly mothers play such a valuable role in their children's lives, I know that my heavenly mother plays such a valuable role in all of our lives. You know, like I like to say, like, no way is she like at the spawn at the gym while we're away. Like she's she's really close to us. And she <laughs> I imagine Mama Bear, she's the first one there when we're heartbroken. She's the first one to be excited when we call. Like she she's there like yeah. where else would she be and so that but like i believe that they both offer me something unique and why would if there's two godly beings with equal power and authority and wisdom why would i just want one like if i if i have access to two awesome I would amen and so yeah i really um love my heavenly parents i think my relationship simply just because because it's newer, my relationship with my heavenly mother um, is probably more still in development. I'm still, you know, reaching out, finding her, keep trying to strengthen that connection between us. And, and it's wonderful and it's empowering and, and it's really helpful to me. And I just, I think that they are my number one fans. And I would, I would say so too. <laughs> they're huge fans of me. And, yeah. and that's so cool. That's so cool that they're like stoked about what I'm doing. And they, you know, laugh at me when I make a huge mistake. And I don't think they're flustered by it. You know, like they have an eternal picture and perspective. Like, I don't think they're going to get upset over a stub toe. And yeah. Spilled milk at the that. table, right? No. Not going to yell at you. No. I, I, I can't imagine a heavenly father that doesn't just want you to connect with your heavenly mother. Yeah. I just can't, I can't see that. I mean, I, I see that, I see the way that my, my wife loves my three kids and the way that she gets them. Like I, sometimes my son will come up to me when he, when he was younger, like three years old, he come up to me and he'd like babble this stuff at me. And I'm looking at him like, Say that again. I one more a little louder. Getting louder doesn't help when you don't really understand the words. 
and my wife would be in the other room and she would yell, this is what he's saying. And I'm like, yeah, like, I mean that there's something, there's something so special about the bond between a mother and a child. And you're right. The mama bear idea. I mean, Mm. no hesitation in, in a mother at all. And then that's, and that's, that's natural. That's a very natural thing for women. They just have this ability and, and men are trying to find that ability. I think, I think that's our, that's our big search in life is trying to figure out how to be a little bit more tender and in tune with people's souls and hearts. Right. Well, you have um, a wonderful example in your heavenly father. You yeah. Know? Amen. And I, and Rosie, going back to going back to what you said, I like, I just, I think heavenly father wants that relationship to happen. And, and, and yet why talking about the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day saints, we, we believe this doctrinally, right? Yeah. We know that we have a heavenly mother. So why are we so dang afraid to talk about it? Um, I think a few reasons. I think members of this church are not immune to like larger cultural influences. So I think sexism plays a definite role. Like we can't pretend like we're immune to that. Um, and, um, this idea that somehow by value, valuing women, we're going to be devaluing, devaluing men, like that's a complete myth, um, and a really harmful lie to both men and women. So I think that influences it. There are definite like cultural myths that we have passed on things like, oh, we can't talk about her because she's too sacred. And we're like, well, that doesn't really hold up anywhere else in our church. We talk about the temple constantly and it's one of our most sacred sacred things. Heavenly Father, super sacred. We talk about him all the time. All the time. Um, there's another idea that says like, we can't talk about her because God is protecting her. And I think that's kind of taking a 1950s projection of that women need to be protected. We know that she is a God of equal power and authority. We have plenty of statements on that. She's a big girl. She doesn't need to be protected <laughs> from her own kids. You know? Ooh, I like that. She can, she can hold her own. Um, so there's a great study done by BYU called a mother there. And they went through basically all of the statements that we have about Heavenly Mother and try to uh, address some of these kind of stories that we've told around why don't we know more about her. And none of them hold up as far as general authority statements. The idea that Heavenly Mother is too sacred to talk about or she's getting protected is actually rooted back to just a random seminary teacher's idea that he gave in a poll and it kind of got latched onto. She's so sacred. So sacred. Um, so yeah, Rachel Steenblick, or Rachel Hunt Steenblick is a great poet who's done a lot of really beautiful work on Heavenly Mother. And she says, um, yes, Heavenly Mother is very sacred. In fact, I dare to say she's too sacred for us not to talk about. Amen. Yeah. Um, so if anyone wants to read more about that, you can just search BYU, a mother there, and you can read all the statements that we have and all the statements that we don't have and um, see that there really is no doctrinal evidence that we can't or shouldn't talk about her. If anything, we have all the doctrine in the world that would support that we should talk about her and that we need her just as much as we need our heavenly father. You know, going back to something you said earlier, um, when Christ was in his, his toughest, hardest moments, well, some of, um, because he had so many, um, but on the cross, one of the things he said, he looked down at his mother and he made sure everybody, all his disciples heard him. And he said, you know, he, he taught you okay. literally, yeah, he literally said, you know, he talked about his mother and, and he made sure that they were going to take care of her. Okay. The first person that he appears to after his resurrection was yes, a woman. For, yes. The, the witnesses that Christ chose to be the first witnesses of the, his resurrected self were women. Yep. And I think that is a f- pretty dang big statement of Christ right there telling us we need to recognize women because this is going to be something in the future that needs to be approached. Yeah. Obviously. Um, I have to, I have to talk about one more example in the scriptures that I have just fallen in love with. 
um, Abish. Mm. So, so, and if you're not a member of the church, I'll, I'll just kind of feel brief. I don't want to have a, a lot of dialogue around this, but I just want to talk about it briefly. Um, there's these missionaries, there's this missionary moment in the Book of Mormon that everybody knows about, right? Um, Alma, Alma the Younger and the sons of Amulek, and they're, they're these Nephites, righteous Nephites going to the Lamanites who are wicked people. And, um, and, and they have some miraculous things happen to them. And they, well, they go and they're before a king and they start teaching. Uh, what well, there's some service that happens before and, and whatever, but they start teaching and the king like passes out, right? I mean, like he's, he, he's so overwhelmed with, um, the idea of what, what, what they're teaching and he feels God in his heart and he, and he, and he needs to repent and all that. And he wants to come to God, have his, his come to God moment. And everyone, everyone basically like, like faints, if you will, they're all like fainting. And there's a girl there. Her name is Abish. And she recognizes what's happening. She's ready for the moment. And she runs around the town and like gathers everybody and brings them back. And we, we look at that experience and we hear this wonderful missionary story about Alma and Amulek and like all these people that were converted to Christ because of it. But we're missing something. Mm-hmm. If Abish wasn't ready and she didn't have the confidence and the courage, if she wasn't willing to go run around and gather everybody, then Alma and Amulek would not have the same measure that I think that we give them. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a wonderful point. It's, it's become, she's become my favorite missionary in the scriptures. Like there's no doubt about it. I, I love, I, I just love her and I'd love to know more of her story. Right. And there's it, Rosie, I think, I think you're hitting someone on the head. So, so tell me this more of your voice, less of mine. Um, how do, how do I, as somebody who wants to be able to help women have more of a voice, not just in the church, but in, in the world itself, how, how do we approach that? And what can we do to really make sure that that happens? Um, I think kind of like I mentioned earlier, uh, and obviously like I, well, I'll just say making room. Um, we it's noticing or understanding that women have not been taught as much as they for sure have a voice inside of them they have not been taught as much to use or to value or be comfortable with that and so in situations where um, women in meetings women are statistically less likely to speak up and so ensuring that women are heard from, ensuring that women are given appropriate time to speak. Uh, And I think that's important on, you know, local levels, like even within the church, like ensuring that women are speaking just as much in councils and in high levels, as far as general conference, I believe that women should be 50% of the speakers and um, like sincerely believing that what they have is of equal value and that it needs to be heard and listened to and considered. Um, so, yeah, I think just hyping the women around you. <laughs> I like know, it. Just hyping them. And, but also, like, not just saying, like, oh, you have so much to share, but, like, really believing. Like, shut our mouths and, and, and listen. Mm-hmm. Right? Really believing and really valuing what they have to share um, and making room for it. Because, you know, there's that talk about, like, having a seat at the table, like, there is not going to be room unless it's created by men. And we can shout from the outside as much as we want, and we can try to elbow our way in. And some of us are definitely doing that. But until men make room for our voices, um, I don't believe that we'll see a big change. Well, I I know that Christ made room. Absolutely. Right. We talked about it. We talked about it. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. Great conversation. And um, I want to, I, I want to talk really briefly, I think on an ending note um, about what you and I talked before we started recording about you with questions in life, right? So as you've approached some of these questions that you have that go against the grain of what the environment you grew up in, right? Um, and, and maybe some questions doctrinally with the church or, just in general with life, 
it, it sounds like those have been some of the struggles for you with life is really just trying to find answers for some of those questions. Um, what have you done to stay patient enough to really get through that process without getting resentful, angry, upset, and just kind of thrown in the towel on, on the idea of, of even getting answers for those questions, if you will? I think, well, first off, I'll say there's definitely times where I feel angry, resentful, and upset, you know, and I really like allow myself to feel that. I think there are a lot of things that I've experienced or just issues being a woman in the church that justify anger, resentment, and being upset. And I'm okay. I'm really okay with feeling that. Uh, And I believe that by feeling it, like, um, there's a great book that talks about that feelings are like tunnels and you, you have to go through the tunnel to get to the other side. And so by feeling, going through my feeling tunnel, I'm okay with that. And I eventually get to the other side. Um, but I would say like believing that this is my heavenly parents will for me that having doubts or having questions or concerns or feeling like I see holes or flaws is not a weakness. It's not a bad thing. It's not a sin. It's what my heavenly parents want for me because it's helping me to grow closer to them. It's helping me gain experience, understanding, uh, wisdom, so I can become more like Jesus Christ, so that I can return to them more like him. And that is a very different path from everyone else on this earth, just like everyone's path is. And I'm, I'm really okay with that. And I trust that through the enabling of power of the atonement, no matter what, no matter uh, what shortcomings, mistakes, wrong choices, no matter what, uh, that Jesus Christ can make good from it. I love it. How, how do you feel when you get an answer to your questions? Like, how do you know how, what, what's occurred in your life that's putting you in a place where you're like, Hey, I know this is, I know this is right. I know this is what my heavenly parents would like me to do right now. Um, I think there are it comes in different ways, you know, like there's the kind of the classic ways where you feel like a spiritual overwhelming kind of tears welling up in the eyes, spine tingling type of thing. That's very real. But for me, like, how do I want to say this? I really believe that God knows my heart. And I really believe that when God says that the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart, that that's the most important thing. And so my actions might be way off, you know, and if they are, I have a savior, <laughs> like for a purpose. Like That's, that's why he came. Kind of why I came. Like, <laughs> but, uh, but the Lord knows my heart and that I'm sincerely just, I'm trying to do good while I'm here. And I trust that that's what my heavenly parents care about. And, um, and yeah, I, I just kind of try to stick with that, that like they know my heart and um, that I am doing my best. And, and that's kind of all that matters to me. Yeah. Define your heart in one word. If you were to say, Hey, my heart is blank. What would that be? Mm, I don't don't know if this makes sense, but the first word that comes to mind is just trying. 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 Mm -hmm. And I, not in the sense of like, what a, this is a trying time, but like in the sense like. (laughs) It's doing its best. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you some crumble cookies, man. She's trying. She's really trying. My heart's really trying. <laughs> All of my ex-boyfriends would say that. That's for sure. No, I, when you said that word, the first thing my mind, my mind thought is you're trying for humanity, right? Like you are really trying to put your best effort out there to really just find, find space, reach people find people's hearts. 
mm-hmm. and bring them to the table. Just like you said earlier, you want you want space created for everybody and you want to bring them to the table. And I, I think that's the trying I get from your words from what I've heard tonight. Is that pretty yeah. close? Yeah. Or do I need to send you those crumble cookies? I mean, I'm always down for cookies, but <laughs> you, know, you don't need to send me anything. But you know, like it's just like I, there's no arguing with trying. No. You know, like sure, you can say someone can say like, well, you're not trying the right way, or you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, okay. But I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. So what? How you can't argue with that? Uh, and that's to me all that God asks. When you're trying, you're engaged, mm-hmm. right? You have to, to, to be trying, you have to recognize like if something's working or it's not working and, and you're engaged with, with the process, it's a process, it's a grind. Trying is the grind. And that's, you, you nailed it when you said, I trust my savior. Mm-hmm. That word's a very powerful, powerful word, our savior well, wait a second. Do, does that mean I only need him when I need saving and, 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 you know, I can reach out to him then or, or what? I mean, he saves us all, right? We all have room at his table. He came for every single one of us. And um, when we're trying, I, I think Rosie, that is a beautiful way to describe your heart because you're, you're, you're allowing opportunity to, change. You're, you're, you're trying, meaning you're looking for light. You're looking for guidance. You have to be courageous to like go certain directions that you feel like your heart's being guided to go. Right. Um, you're, you're doing some amazing things. And, and I just from talking with you and conversing with you, I feel like, um, some of the things that you're talking about really, inspire my mind to say, what am I doing to make more space? What am I doing to listen in Sunday school? Like, you know, I, I like that guy that's in my, in my priest quorum. And when he makes a comment and I raise my hand and I back that up, am I doing that for women that like make awesome comments too? No, I, you know, maybe I could try a little harder to do that. Right. Um, and, and something you said at the very beginning was, with. Uh, Sister Samuelson, going back to her. You don't have your own kids right now, but I'll tell you what, I want my kids t- to hear that experience, you sharing that experience about 10 times, because that advice given to any child is like the best parenting possible in the world to say, look what this person did to me. Do you want to do that for people or do you want to tell people, no, they can't do something? I mean, right there, like that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, parental skills, if you will, to teach a child, like you don't have to be a mom to be wise and to recognize what people need in this, in this world. So, um, thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. Last question, if you will, for, for younger you, let's go back. I'm going to ask that question, right? So for younger you, before you went on a mission, maybe like you're in junior high trying to figure out your life, right? Those crazy weird years of junior high or you when you're really trying to find your place. What would you say to that person today? If you could like sit down with them for just a minute, what would you talk about? Oh man, that makes me just, that makes me emotional Um, because I freaking love that little girl. (laughs) <laughs> that's good because man i look at me and i'm like oh he was awful <laughs> i mean so is she like yeah. what a crap. But, um but i just love her and i i think i would just say like uh your life is gonna freaking rock like you're gonna have not one but two dogs and that would have made junior high rosie stoked yeah. out of her mind and like <laughs> You are going to have the opportunity to just kind of do all of the things that you thought would be so cool and so fun. And, and that, you know, your life is going to be look really different than you thought it would. Um, But there are going to be people who come into your life at certain points that play, you know, valuable roles and, and they will also leave your life and that that's going to be okay. Um, but I think we, just because, you know, I was 
an immensely insecure little girl, um, just desperate for love and acceptance from peers um, and just starving for being just to be noticed. Um, and I think I would just tell her like, you've got some freaking awesome things coming your way. And you just, again, you're going to have two dogs and you can't imagine anything better. It's going to be so great. <laughs> just, just love every moment of it. Right. Yep. Rosie talking to you tonight, there's one thing that has really stood out to me. You're a creator. And I, and, and, and I kind of want to define that a little bit. Yeah. You created a company, like you found a need and you filled it and you've done a marvelous job. And there's so many women that are like applauding you from all over the place. Cause yeah, Holy cow, uncomfortable. Right. But like you're creating, you're creating space, you're creating opportunity. You're creating new conversations that need to be had. Um, the way that you view this world is very, it's a very beautiful place. I can't tell you how many times I've heard you say, I'm stoked or I love my life. And to me, it's like you, you, the, the, the vision you've created for yourself of this world is a very beautiful place. And I have to think that that God given ability to create is one of the most powerful influencing things that anybody in this world can have. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, but I, I like to say like, it's our family business. <laughs> That's what our parents do. That's right. Right. Like we're just, we're just apprentices in the family business where we're work. Mom and dad are letting us come in and file some things in their office. Like it's what we do. We create things and that's so fun. Have a, have a good time doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Go create and create some space for everybody else to create as well. Mm -hmm. I love it. Thanks so much for joining me, Rose. You're awesome. No, thank you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much. Keep being a voice and, and people like me need to hear it and we want to. So keep being a voice. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.